Let's stand, let's pray before we get into God's word. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we open up your word, that you would speak to us. May we learn from you, God. May we understand what you want us to know, God. And I pray that we would see you ultimately and that our souls would be fed. Lord, we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. On the screen, I've got a meme that I see almost every July 4th. You know, every July 4th, it's on Instagram and it says, on a scale of one to America, how free are you this weekend? You know, it's a great, it's a great cheesy pickup line, right? Um, but why, why do I bring this up? Because we in America, we love our freedom, don't we? And we have a lot of freedom. We are gathering here right now in the name of Jesus to worship Jesus, and there's nobody trying to stop us. There's nobody spying on us, right? We enjoy and love our freedoms and thank God for all the freedoms that God has given us at this moment. And as Christians, we too, in Christ, are able to enjoy many freedoms. God saves us from the law. God saves us from trying to earn his favor, but he gives us his favor in the form of Jesus Christ. However, sometimes what could be a freedom for me could actually be a stumbling block to another believer. And this is what we are going to call gray areas. We're, this is what's called gray areas in Christianity. But thankfully, the Word of God does not leave us you know, without instruction on how to respond and how to treat one another when there's a gray area in between us, when we don't agree with one another. So we're going to read... 1 Corinthians chapter 8, because we're going through the series of 1 Corinthians, and we're now on chapter 8, and let's read that together now. Verse 1, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. He's, they're guessing he's probably quoting them from a letter that they wrote to him. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. But although there are many so-called gods in the heaven or the earth, or as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed." The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat 
lest I make my brother stumble. These are the words of God. Just to understand the context of what, what was going on. In the city of Corinth, there were people, Christians, that went to the Corinthian church who were also going to idol temples. And they would participate and eat of the sacrificial meals with other idol worshipers as well, right? And the logic that they had was, well, this idol whose temple I came to is not a real God, right? It's, not a, it's just a man-made little statue. I know the real God. I worship the real God. So it doesn't really matter if I go to this idol, you know, and I eat in these meals. It's fun. It's great. The meat is delicious, right? But what would happen is weaker Christians would be walking by and they would see this other Christian person eating, you know, the the sacrificial meal and they would be tempted to also like, oh, maybe that's okay for me as well. And they would participate, but their conscience being weak because of their past, right? Because of their past association with idols, they would feel like, oh, at the end, they, after they were done, they would feel like they, wow, I just sinned because I participated and worshiped an idol. So, What's interesting is we're going to read 1 Corinthians 10, part of it as well, but we'll see that in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul explicitly forbids eating in the idol temples. He'll, he'll go on to say, no, you can't do that at all, period. There, there's, there's no option there. But we still see, we'll see in Corinthians 10, that there is still this gray area where it, it could be right, it could be wrong, right? And it was specifically about the meat that was sold in the markets in that area. What would happen is, you know, there's the idol and then the sacrificial meals in the temple, but then there will also be the meat markets. And oftentimes a business, when they would sell the meat at their, you know, you know sell meat to people, they would sacrifice a little piece of it to an idol. Or maybe it was priests that would do the sacrifice and then they would sell that meat and people would buy it and they would say, oh, this meat was, you know, offered to Artemis or whatever, right? So these, you know, kind of like blessed or, or, or holy pagan meat. And what Paul is saying, yeah, there are some Christians that could go and buy that meat and say, I don't care who you think you sacrificed it to, right? There's only one God. This all belongs to God. You guys are just playing some silly game. I'm just going to enjoy this meat to the glory of God, and I'm going to praise God. But there are other Christians who said, I I'm not touching that. I can't touch that. But like that was, that's defiled. That's unclean. Do you guys know the background? Do you guys know the history of those things? Right? That, that was sacrificed to an idol. How could you partake in that? Right? And so there was this kind of conflict and there's this clash. Different Christians would respond differently. And so what we see here is that gray areas have always been around. From the very beginning, uh, since Christianity has formed, people in the same church have had conflicting views. They had different perspectives on certain topics. And I want to say gray areas are normal. We just looked at one example. I'm not saying they're good, right? If we could do away with them, we should. But but they're normal. That's the reality. But luckily, the Word of God does not leave us guessing on how to treat one another, how to respond to each other when we differ. In every church, right, 
Each person is coming in from a different background, right? A different family circumstance, different cultures, right? Maybe uh, different exposures, different personalities, just like here. And same thing in the church of Corinth. There's different opinions on all these different subjects. And so churches have always had issues with differing opinions. It's true. Like the only church where you're not going to have a different opinion on Anything is the church where you're the only member, right? And even then, you're still probably going to have conflicts with your own self. And notice how Paul responds. Paul doesn't say, oh, for those of you that don't want to eat meat, guys, no problem. Just split off and start your own vegetarian church, right? Like, easy, problem solved, right? And then if you find another thing you disagree, just split off again, right? That's not the solution that the Word of God gives us. So the Word of God acknowledges that there's differences of opinion, and yet they gives us a completely different solution. There's probably an unlimited amount of topics that we as Christians can divide about. There's a million different gray areas, whether it be clothing or appearances or style of worship or value of psychology in Christianity, the degree of political involvement that Christians can be in, forms of entertainment. There's so many things that we as Christians could disagree about and stumble over and make others stumble. Just think of any controversial topic that is not explicitly a sin in the Bible, right? There's still black. There are still black things that are completely wrong, but there's still some gray as well. And so there are some that will, and, and we all fall, right? When there comes to gray areas, there's so many of them. Sometimes we will fall on the side of, well, I think this is okay. I actually think it's fine, right? And here's my biblical reason of why I think it's fine. And then, there, and then there'll be different issues where we think, no, this is not okay. And this is why I think it's not okay. This is my conviction. And it's just an unfortunate reality of sin, of the fall. Ever since the fall, this is what's happened, right? These gray areas have appeared. We will always have, to a certain degree, misalignments, misunderstandings with one another. And because of these passages, I'm convinced that we will still have gray areas until Christ comes. And only in heaven will we no longer have to struggle with this messiness. So how should we respond to one another when it comes to these controversial topics? What I want to do, church, if you can please take your Bibles out, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to read the couple of verses out of there, and then we'll read Romans 14. And I want you to read it because I want you to know where it is in the Bible, because I want you to be able to go back there when, you, when this comes up, right? When in your life, it, it will absolutely come up. I promise you, this is, this is our instruction guide. So 1 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 23. Paul says, all things are lawful. Again, he's quoting them. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up, meaning build up others. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. 
But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. For the, for the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience, I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be limited by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And also, please open your Bibles to Romans 14. We're going to read that together as well. Romans 14. Just go back a couple of pages. Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and not let the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord that nothing itself is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone who makes 
for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So what we see here, when there's a gray area, there's people who said, this is okay, and then they would take advantage of their freedom, but what would happen is they would make the people that thought it was not okay, they made them stumble. And the Word of God clearly says, this is not good. It is not good to use our freedoms to make other Christians stumble. These people, they claim to have more knowledge, right? They thought, oh, there's no real idol, there's only one God, right? But they use this knowledge to actually hurt other believers. And that's why Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 8.1, he says, this knowledge, it puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. In reality, this person that's making other people stumble, Paul says, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Why? Because real knowledge is found when someone loves God. Verse 3, that's real knowledge. It's not just head knowledge, but it is knowledge here in the heart, right? Real knowledge isn't just having, being able to prove some kind of argument. It's loving God and being loved by God. That is real knowledge. That is real maturity. It's being in relationship with God, being close to God. That's real maturity in Christ. It's not being able to prove to someone, boom, 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 this is why you should eat meat. It's about loving the other person because you love Christ and you don't want to make this person stumble. It's building other people up. That's real knowledge. That's real love. I'm very thankful that the Word of God very clearly tells both people on both ends of the spectrum how to behave. And we, if we're honest, we show up on both ends of the spectrum just in different questions, right? And so what is our instruction for when we are weak, you could say? The first, first one is instructions to the weak. Romans 14.3 says, Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Video team, if we can go next two slides. For God has welcomed him. This is not easy, right? It's not easy to not pass judgment when you are so convinced in your mind, like, this is wrong, right? Yeah, maybe I can't prove it directly in the Bible, but it just feels so wrong, right? And, and, and it's so easy to pass judgment. It's difficult to get over the emotion of this feels wrong, you know, the idea of, okay, this is wrong just for me is not an idea that comes to our mind immediately, right? The first thought we have is like, well, this is wrong, and it's wrong for everyone, right? Not just me. It's wrong for everyone. But it takes a certain maturity to say, that's just between him and God. I can't show you in the Bible. I hope he's okay. I hope he's good. But I know it's wrong for me. So I'm not going to pass judgment. Um, 
It, it, just imagine like the Jews, right? They grew up their whole life making sure all their food was really, really clean. And, and it, there, was, there was no pork. There was nothing defiled, nothing unclean. There, it, there was no priests, you know, some pagan, nothing related to pagan meat at all, right? They wouldn't even eat with Gentiles. And then they become a Christian, right? Now they're free in Christ. They can eat whatever, whatever they want, right? But they're just like, ah, oh, my whole life, my whole life I never ate this. Like, I d just, I still don't feel comfortable. I understand I'm free in Christ, I understand, but I just can't do it. I, I don't want to do it. It's difficult, right? And it's difficult to see someone else eat that meat, and our whole life you looked at them as unclean, and now not to think that's unclean. To think that God is approving of that as well. That's really hard to step over yourself emotionally. But that's what the Word of God says. Don't pass judgment. But notice, notice that the Bible never tells the weak person, just get over yourself. You're so weak, right? You, you should know better than that, right? You're free in Christ. Just grow in your faith. Start eating the meat, right? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, we can glorify just as God as much by abstaining. We see that Romans 14, 6. It says, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. If this is what we feel is right before God, for me at this time, right now, maybe things will change, maybe I will change. But right now in this moment, if this is what feels wrong, Continue to do it. I mean, continue to abstain for the sake of Christ. You are not less acceptable when you abstain. You know, like, oh, I'm just weak. I can't eat, you know, I can't eat meat. I, I, I'm, I'm subpar. We're not less than. And I'm not, I'm not talking about legalism. Like, oh, if I abstain from meat, I'm going to be more spiritual and I'm going to earn more favor with God. And these unclean, barely saved Christians, well, I'm so much better. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, like, I just can't do it. It just feels wrong. So I'm going to abstain. God will honor that. And that honors God. So do not pass judgment. Also, the word of God says, Romans 14, 10, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, do you not, or why, or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 12, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The key, the secret to being able to be in a position where we're abstaining and seeing other people who maybe are not abstaining. And again, I'm not talking about sin, right? I'm talking about gray areas. The key to be able to not pass judgment is to remember that each of us will give an account of himself to God. I'm not going to give an account for you to God. You're not going to give an account for me. I am 0% responsible for you before God. And you are 0% responsible for me. It's just me and God, and I need to be right before God. That's all that matters. I, will, I can pray for you. Lord, I hope, I hope he's doing well. I hope she's doing well with the Lord. But if it's not explicitly a sin, we, there's nothing more we can do. We can just remember that each of us will give an account. We have to remember. God will figure it out with them. I don't know their situation completely. I don't know their background. I don't know any of that stuff. Leave it up to them and to God. Again, those things that are clearly sins have to be called out, and we have to approach our brothers or sisters. But the gray area is this is how we respond. Now, instruction to the strong. When we find ourselves on the other side, 
when we can, when we feel like we approve of something and it's fine and we can participate, but it might be a gray area. Romans 14.3 says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. The Word of God tells us, if we can go next to slides, video team, do not look down on the one who is abstaining, right? Don't look at them and think, oh, they're so inferior. They're so immature in Christ. They, they don't know that, you know, that you have all these freedoms. You're so stuck in your own legalistic little ways. Oh, so they're so less than, they're, they're so less advanced than we are. It's a real temptation. And that's why the Word of God actually says, don't despise. Don't look down, right? Romans 14, 15 says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Verse 16, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. What the Bible is saying is, do not destroy your brother for the sake of something as small as food or some other little thing of opinion, right? In fact, the Word of God says it's good to abstain for the sake of not making your brother stumble. It's good to, to not take advantage of the freedoms that you have for the sake of your brother. Look what it says. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Just keep it between you and God. This is very, very important, and it's, it's crazy because there are some people, Christians, who feel like they need to flaunt their freedom in Christ, right? Just flaunt it, showing it off. They want to show off how unlegalistic they are, how free they are in Christ, right? But that's literally the exact opposite of what the Word of God tells us to do, right? The Word of God says, the faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God, just you and the Lord. Some people go so far as to posting on social media their freedoms, and they know it's going to make people stumble. And they still do it, and it's exactly the opposite of what the Word of God teaches. Keep your faith between yourself and God. Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 8.8 8 also says, Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. So, in other words, it doesn't really matter in our relationship with God. Verse 9, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against. Christ. Food will not commend us to God, meaning this freedom that we have in Christ, yes, it is our freedom, but this freedom itself or exercising this freedom, it won't draw us closer to God. What Paul is saying is that 
something that is non-essential, a non-essential part of our relationship with God, don't use that to push other people away from God. You know, he's, it feels like, let's say, Bible reading or prayer, right? Like, that's an essential. We need that. We need to live by the Word of God. And someone says, oh, your Bible, you reading your Bible so often makes me stumble. Okay, sorry. Like, I, I can't help you with that, right? Because this actually helps me in my relationship with God. But food, entertainment, whatever it is, right, these other gray areas, it's a non-essential, it doesn't bring us closer to God. So he's saying, don't use something that doesn't bring you closer to God. Don't use that to destroy your brother in Christ. And, and you don't say, it says, welcome him, not to quarrel about opinions. Don't, you know, oh, this weak person just needs to be stronger in the Lord. They just need to mature up a little bit, and then they'll understand me and why I use my freedoms, right? The Word of God actually says that by making our brother stumble, we sin against Christ. That's wild. That's convicting. When I was preparing this message, that's convicting, the Bible makes it clear that it's possible to use our freedom, and it itself, in itself, is not a sin, but when a brother stumbles over the freedom that we have in Christ, that we flaunted by wounding their conscience, we actually sin against Christ himself. Not just against the brother, but against Jesus Christ, church. And if we are sinning in Christ, why do we need those kind of freedoms? We'd rather hold on to our freedoms and sin against Christ. And the, 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 the specific phrase that I really want us to look at is this phrase, the brother for whom Christ died. The brother for whom Christ died. This phrase, you know, someone for whom Christ died or the brother for whom Christ died specifically only gets used twice in the Bible. There's other passages that talks about Jesus dying for us, but it's specifically a group of people, a set of group of people for whom Christ died only gets used twice in the Bible. And interestingly, in both places, the context is all about not making our brothers stumble. Romans 14, 15, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. 1 Corinthians 8, 11, so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. This is Paul's main argument for why we as strong Christians should deny ourselves for the sake of weaker Christians. Paul emphasizes the preciousness of other believers, of our brothers and sisters, because of the price that Christ has paid for all of us. That's the main argument. That is the crux. That's the key to understanding how we should treat each other in these gray areas, church. You see... If we as Christians begin to compare ourselves to other Christians, right? Well, I, I can do this, they can't do that, and they, they stumble when they see me, right? We'll begin to see other weak Christians as inferior, right? And it's easy to start feeling as if their weakness is unjustly affecting my freedom. It's limiting my freedom, right? So why should their weakness limit my freedom that I have in Jesus Christ, and what Paul is saying, he's saying, zoom out. 
Hey, zoom out. Get out of your little bubble. Don't you realize it's not about me and my freedom and me living a good life here. It's about Christ, church. Life is about Christ. He is the sun, and we are the planets. We revolve around him, not us and everything revolving around us. This world has been ruined by sin. It's been destroyed by sin. And, and we are all hopelessly lost in this world apart from God. But God, in his goodness, sent his perfect son into this world who lived the perfect life and who took our sin upon himself and died with it in order to bring us forgiveness, in order to give us new life. He suffered for us. And he did it because he loved us. He loved us until the very end. The word of God says he sacrificed himself so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you haven't believed in him yet, believe in him today. Trust in him today. Cry out to him today and he will save you. That's the precious gospel that we proclaim and live by. That's the only way to be saved. And now everyone who comes to him is now his, is Christ, meaning he died for each and every one of us. He loves each and every one of us personally, not generically like, oh, whoever walks through that door in the next hour, I'm going to love them and I'm going to die for them. No, it's individually, yes, as a group, but also individually he loves every single one of us as souls. And the reason each of us are precious is because God has paid a specific price for each and every one of us specifically through his death. Let me give you an example. Imagine you have multiple kids, right? And you're living a life, and it's great, and your kids are happy, you're happy, and then one day, God forbid, you find out that they have some kind of terminal disease, and they're, all of them are about to die. And the only way that you can try to, you hope to save their life is by you selling all that you have, your cars, houses, whatever, whatever you have, you sell everything. All your life savings, your retirement, every little place you hid, your $100, right? You're, you're scraping everything, and you're going all in. You're going to lose everything you have just to give them a fighting chance to survive. You buy the treatment. They take it six months later. They're recovering. They're good. They're happy. And then you walk into the room, and one of your kids is crying and you ask, what's going on? They said, oh, well, my, my older sibling said that I'm dumb because I'm getting worse grades in school than everyone else. And your kid starts feeling sad and insecure. How would you feel as a parent in that moment? Anger, right? You love your kids, but you would feel anger, right? Because, because ultimately, you don't care what grades your kid gets as long as they're trying their best, right? You don't care. You just gave up everything. You lost everything for all of them, for their sake, for each of them individually. And now one of your kids is emotionally destroying your other child. That's so wrong. Jesus feels in a special type of jealousy over every single one of us. And when we as Christians destroy one another, it doesn't please Jesus He doesn't care how strong, how smart, how dumb, how weak any of us are. 
he cares about is whether we love him and whether we love one another. That's it. Jesus has paid a precious price for all of us. So may we honor him by honoring and loving one another. When we use our freedom to make another brother stumble, we are effectively sinning against Christ. We are trampling the worth that he has paid for our brother. All believers are infinitely precious to Christ because we all cost him his innocent life. At the end of the day, if we zoom out, church, one day in heaven, there will be no more gray areas. There won't. That's what's coming. There will be no more sin. There will be no more temptation. There will be no stumbling stones, no more division, no more misunderstanding. There will only be joy and abundance of life in Christ forever. And life is going to be so much infinitely greater than the greatest form of life we could ever enjoy here on earth. It will be so much better. I promise you that. Perfect joy and fellowship with God, with one another, which Christ purchased for all of us through his death. But until then, it's not about me. It's about glorifying Christ. It's about exalting Jesus. It's about making much of him and serving him. So how do I best glorify Jesus with the life that he has assigned to me? If I make it all about me and my God-given rights and my freedoms, it will be very hard to sacrifice those freedoms for the sake of a weaker brother. In fact, it will probably be impossible But if I zoom out of my comfort, if I zoom out of my life and I try to make it my goal to glorify God in everything that I do to revolve completely around him, then sacrificing certain freedoms for the sake of other brothers for the short time that we have here on earth. Church, we don't have a lot of time. We're almost there. Eternity is right here. It's around the corner. We're at the cusp of eternity all of us, no matter how long we live, we're almost there in light of eternity. It's not going to matter. We are called to love God so much that we are to lay our lives down for him. Amen? Like that's, that's the standard that God calls us to love him, to lay our life down for him. But if I can't lay my freedoms down for a weaker brother, when the word of God calls me to do so, How am I truly going to lay my life down for God if that's what he asks for one day? How? We won't. That's the reality. In heaven, church, when we're up there in heaven in perfect unity, perfect love and fellowship, we're going to look each other in the eyes and we're going to weep and we're not going to mourn over the freedoms that we gave up for one another temporarily. We're not going to care about that. You know what the only thing we're going to care about when we look each other in the eyes? Is did we love one another? Did we love one another here on earth? That's the only thing. Did we love one another despite our differences? Great areas in Christianity, they really test us. 
And I believe that's why God allows them to exist in churches. In his sovereignty, he allows them to exist because it's a chance to demonstrate love towards one another when it's not easy. Jesus said in Luke 6.32, even sinners love those who love them. Even sinners. You don't need to be a Christian to love people. It's so easy to love those who are just like me. It's so easy to love the people that I understand, the people that trust me, the people that love me. It's, but it's a quite a different thing to love someone who's not like me, whose views and opinions are different. But that's the point. If we can't love one another who are just a little bit different than us, how do we expect to be an example of God's love to this world? As I call the band up, the gray areas, they show us who is more mature. They show us who has more love, ultimately. It doesn't matter where you fall, right? Remember, me and my brother, we have a great relationship right now. But as brothers who are close in age, we'd get in a lot of fights. And for those of you that have brothers, you know how it was. And, and we would get into fights, and my mom would run in, and she'd separate us. And he's like, he started it. Usually it was me. And, and he's like, well, but he escalated. He continued, right? And there's just this, you know, finger pointing. And all of us had strong legal defenses why the other one was at fault, right? And it was a stalemate. Every time you, you'd get lost, right? And she would always just say this, and it just always got to me. She said, he who is wiser will ask for forgiveness first. He who is wiser will take that first step towards reconciliation. And it worked so well because I always heard that. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be that fool that just holds on to his pride and his own self-righteousness. But that's exactly what the Word of God tells us to do. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Church, let us be the ones that takes that first step the one that makes that sacrifice. He who is wiser and more loving, who seeks to glorify Christ above all, will be the one who will take that first step, no matter which side you're on in the opinion, in the debate. He will be the one who makes the sacrifice. And it's not easy. If it was easy, it would not be a gray area. That's the whole point of a gray area, to make it real, to make it hard, to make it a, a area to show love where sinners normally don't show love. As I close, I just want to read Romans 14, 17. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. This is the holy word of God. Amen. Let's stand and we'll have a minute of quiet reflection time and then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and it's an impossible task to deny ourselves our comforts, our pleasures, our freedoms for the sake of someone weaker. God, without you, it's impossible. But with God, you said, 
all things are possible. So I pray that all of us, that we would cling to you, God, that we would hold fast to you, that you would be at the center and that you would give us the strength to be the light, to be loving, to be mature, to be close to you, and to serve our brothers around us. Lord, we thank you. We worship you. We pray this in your name. Amen.